Thanks for joining us here at Belgium Community Church. Our current series is called Failure is Not Final. What feels like the end for us can be a new beginning with Jesus. We've been talking the last several weeks, uh, putting forth the idea that failure is not final. It's something we, we believe very strongly here. We know it to be true. So I just want to recap that before I delve into a different aspect of what we've been talking about. And being an engineer, I love my whiteboards. And it turns out that you can actually kind of draw this out. And so if you think about your life, your life is progressing along in some road. But it's, it's real life. So really, it's a little squiggly. Okay? Sometimes we have those two steps forward, one step back days. Uh, this is how it is. But every once in a while, something happens. Something happens that's really catastrophic. Okay? We, we call that a failure. These are the things that call our character into question. They strike us at the very root of who we think we are and who we believe us to be. But what we've been saying is that failure is not final. And the reason that is, is because there's this power at work in the life of a believer. Okay? That is pulling us up to where we are supposed to be. And as that happens, we start to live our life again with all of its squiggles. So over here you can say we and fill in the blank. We fall. We crumble at some crucial moment. We stumble in all the ways that a human being can stumble and fall. But over here, here is where we discover that God does something. Okay? He intervenes. He rescues. Engineers can't spell, so I always think it's okay. God steps into this failure and redeems the situation. And there's one more part. We get up. After God works a work of grace in our life, there is heart for us yet, and that's to respond to that grace, to walk in that grace. And so we have to get up. We have to take one more breath. We have to take one more step. We have to live another day. Okay? This kind of summarizes what we've been talking about. This is not failure. This is not final. This failure is not final. We fall. God moves. We get up. All the greats. Look at Scripture. All the heroes of the faith, they've all had this, sometimes more than once. Now, I will confess, in my earlier years, uh, we blame a lot of things on youth, rightly so. But in my earlier years, I would sometimes look at people's lives, and I would see only this part. And I would think, I would judge them, to be quite honest. I wasn't always as kind as I should have been. 
But as you live your life with all of its squiggles, you discover your own failures. It's in this moment that you discover that the grace of God is for everyone. I discovered that when I got divorced. Divorce is still, in many Christian circles, uh, shall I use the, the phrase, the kiss of death. Okay, It's, it's rightly taught that God, it's not God's plan for divorce, uh, but it happens, and I was here. And I discovered here that my God never left me, he never abandoned me, and in a very difficult time, he intervened and drove me up. And I learned to get up every day. I learned to move. I learned to take another breath. This whole thing is what I call a pattern of grace. Okay? This is a pattern of grace. We see it in every believer's life at some time, at some place. In fact, I will tell you, having lived a few more years, that if this doesn't exist in your life, there's a good chance you're not doing anything or you're dead. Okay. If, if you're dead, you won't see this at all. Okay. Just so we understand that. But this, this happens. Okay. But it is not final. God is at work. The life of every believer. This power of grace is striving to lift us up if we will cooperate. But I have two questions that kind of governed my thinking for this talk. The first is, what is the purpose of grace? You can ask it in a different way. You can say, what is grace's end? Okay. In the same way that we might say, what is, what is journey's end? Okay. What is grace propelling us to? Right. This, this goes on. Till the day we die. Okay. Where is it carrying us to? I think it's a fair question because grace is very costly. Grace is extremely costly. It would have been very easy when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden for God to just go like that. And we're going to start over with a better model. Okay, But he didn't. Instead, before Adam and Eve sinned, God knew that this was coming and had a plan and purpose, and that was to shed grace into our lives, to pour that into us at great cost. That cross, that cross means something. The second question that governed my thinking was, does grace have an expiration date? Does grace have an expiration date? Not that you can exhaust it, okay, as long as you're breathing, you will never exhaust this. Okay, But is there a time and a place that there's something else that governs the relationship between an individual and God, between humanity and God? There's something else coming. And to help try and grab a hold of those questions, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught it's in Luke 19, 11 through 17. 
It's the parable of the ten minas. Very well-known parable. I'm going to read it. Try and picture it in your mind if you can. Jesus says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I get back. Now his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His, man, his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, we will not touch everything in this parable. To Jesus' hearers, there was an actual historical context because something like that had actually happened in that region. But we're going to touch the most important parts of it. I'm a visual thinker. So, you are going to visualize along with me. Because you have to see it. You have to see it. So, the master is going away. And the plan is, is that he will return as a king. But before he goes, he calls his servants and he gives them some money. All right? He expects them to take that money and do something with it. So, in the three servants that the story talks about, is a mina. A mina's worth of money. Each one of them get a mina. And so the man, the master, goes away, and the servants take their mina, and they go off, and they do what they're supposed to do, hopefully. Okay? They're out there. 
making that money grow. The nobleman gets his kingdom. He returns as a king, and he calls him back. He calls these servants back and says, how did you do? I gave you a mina. What did you do with it? Show me. And so the first one says, well, you gave me this, but here's what happened to it. I returned not two, not three, not four, more than five, more than six, seven, eight. I'm not done yet, master. Nine, ten minutes. Wow. Was the, was the king impressed with this? He was very happy with his servant. Even used words like, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, He really liked that. The second Servant said, Well, you know, you gave me a mina, and I, I, you know, I, I, did, I worked with it. So I gave, I'm giving you back five minas, okay? And the master was okay with that. He was pleased. He was rewarded as well. This guy said, Well, you gave me this. <clears throat> Here, I'm going to give it back to you. Okay? I'm just giving it back to you. I wasn't, I was scared of you, and I was scared that I might lose it or do something wrong. And so I hid it away in a cloth. Okay? And the master was not pleased. Because this man had not done what the master wanted him to do, which was to make it grow. And the result was his mina was taken away from put over here. Okay. At least in this story, the loss at that time in their lives was irrevocable and complete. The man lost the meaning. Okay. Now, there are at least two failures in this story that were rather catastrophic. The first is obvious. The worthless slave and what he did with his mina. What did he do with his mina? I see, yeah, nothing. Nothing happened. Why is nothing so bad? If you read, if you read the story, the words that's used for cloth can also refer to the headbands that they wore in that culture. And so they would hide their money in their headbands, in their funny little hats. Okay, so, as you read this, you might think of him taking his mina, tucking it into the folds of that turban, and walking around with it on his head, never far away, always available, always there, okay, yet not doing anything with it. Nothing is so bad because that's not what the king was after. The king was after an increase. He wanted what he had given his servants to grow. In a past sermon, we made a point. I wonder if anyone remembers this. Perfect love once more. Do you remember that? Perfect love once more. Perfection is not the thing we reach for and attain to so that we can stop. 
perfection in this sense is we have found perfect love and we want to make more of that. We know what to replicate. We know what to copy. We know what to make more of. The master wanted more. He wanted to see his trust and investment used to grow his kingdom, not maintain the status quo. Now the second and really the more serious failure is that the man was afraid of his master. He was afraid of him. He was afraid of him because he did not know him. And this fear caused him to hide his mina, hide it right on his body in all likelihood. The master was actually quite generous in his rewards, contrary to what the the wicked servant thought. Because if you think about it, Amina was worth a little over three months' worth of wages. Okay? It's not, you know, it's not nothing, but you're not going to retire and go to the Bahamas on on Amina's worth of money. Okay? It's enough to work with and do something. But each one of these minas suddenly was translated because of the master's generosity and desire to reward. Each mina was translated into an entire city. Each mina, now this man was in charge of all the industry, all the work, all the people, all the wealth that an entire city represents. Okay? Amina's here, an entire city is clear up there. Okay? It was a reward out of all proportion for what they had done. The master was generous. The slaves had all the ingredients they needed. They had the time they needed, after all. Some did quite well. Uh, they had the money that they needed. It was enough to work with. So back to the beginning and the two questions that I asked. Does grace have a purpose and does it have an expiration date? The parable suggests some answers. Let's start with expiration date. Scripture is very clear, not only in this parable, but elsewhere, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Not as the first time. Not to hang on a cross again, but he's going to return as king, a judge, there will be a resurrection, that we are going to be in front of him, and he's going to ask about our meanness. He's going to ask about our life. Now, this is a this is a judgment not to whether we go to heaven or hell. We're in heaven. Okay? He's, he's asking what we've done with our life, with the mina. At that point, though, every chance is over. Every choice that you could have made in your life has been moved. In a very real sense, you've made a life that you're about to experience in heaven, depending on your rewards. The first question then was, does grace have an an end point? Grace governs the current relationship with God. Governs our current relationship. Failure is not final. Never, ever final. Our successes are celebrated both here and in the life to come. What I want you to 
make a connection with is that this takes away all the fear. You don't need to be afraid of God because this grace has been poured out so richly in your life. You can do things, you can try things, and even if you fail, grace will drive you up and you can keep going. Right? He's provided everything you need. So take the risk. and Take the, take the money out of your hat okay? and invest your life. Now I'm concerned that as you uh, are listening to me, that all you're hearing is work harder and do more. Okay, <laughs> that's not where that's not really what I'm trying to say. That's not the point. The point is, God really does expect a return on what He's put into you, what He's poured into your heart, your mind, and in your life. In business, we have a phrase, we say, fail quickly. Okay, Try things, move on it. If it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to lose your job. Fail as quickly as you can so that you can get to the success. Okay, I'm not encouraging you to fail. But I am telling you, don't fear it. Don't be afraid of the failure. It's not final. It's not final. And it will carry you to a day when you see Jesus face to face, that I want to be as joyful a day as possible. I want it for you too. I want that to be a joy of, a day of celebration. Now, I have a little confession to make. I've never really considered myself to be a 10 Mina man or a 5 Mina man. I really more closely identify with this guy. Okay, I really do. Uh, I'll never preach to thousands like Billy Graham. I'll never, you know, lead. I'm just not. I'm an introvert to the max. Remember, I'm an engineer. You know? I'm very happy in the space between my ears. Okay? <laughs> but I know this is coming. Okay, so what do I do? What do I do? And Jesus told us, he said, put your money on deposit. Some translations say, put your money in the bank. That's what Jesus, that's not really what Jesus said. What he said in the Greek was, put your money on the table. All right. And you'd have to understand that culture to understand what that meant because they didn't have banks back then. They just didn't exist. People didn't borrow money <clears throat> unless you were very, very poor. And you needed to borrow money for some necessities. And anybody could lend money. If you were rich and had some extra old minas laying around and you wanted to, you know, turn them into more minas, you would go down to the marketplace, you would set up a little booth, you would put a table out there, and you would put your money on the table. And that was a sign to everyone that they could come to you and borrow some money. Right? Jesus said, put your money on the table. And so what that means in practicality is I can't think of a Christian work, ministry, effort anywhere that doesn't need another pair of hands, another volunteer, another another bit of your money and your wealth, your your efforts, your time, your treasure, all you, your life. 
I can't think of anyone that doesn't need that, that's doing something for God. So over the years, I have searched out people that are doing the things that I could never do, but yet I can contribute to what they are doing. I can, I can put my money on the table and invest my life in what somebody else is doing. Right? And that's true here at Belgium Community Church. Uh, there's lots of volunteer opportunities, outreach opportunities. We're continuing to grow in that area, but everywhere. There's a way that you need, that you can invest your little mina. Okay. Okay. There's two ways to get rich, right? Quickly and slowly. You can, you can go out, you can turn your mina into five or ten, or you can invest over a lifetime. And at the end of that lifetime, you stand before God, you will discover that your mina, your life has been lent into the work and the lives of countless others. If you just take it out of your hat, take it out of your headband, and, and do the right things with it. We often talk about what Jesus said don't lay up treasure on earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. There is another section of scripture that I like just as well. It's in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. By the way, I'm talking to rich people. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now listen, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for when? For the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Okay? Paul is telling us to be generous, to do the good things that that we know to do, but there's a reason because there is an age coming and as we basically pass our, our lives forward into that coming age, okay, we're going to lay up a firm foundation and we're going to need it there. For some reason, we're going to need it that we might find the life that is truly life. In the Greek, the word is zoe. It doesn't really mean this kind of life, it's life. It's real life. It's life as God knows life. That I can't even, all I can do is go like this. It's life. <laughs> it's life that bubbles up from the deepest places of our heart and mind and soul. In a very real sense, we come into this world and we don't know how long we have. Our days are numbered, but we have hours, as long as we have breath, as long as we have life. We have something that we can invest, we can take advantage of the grace that's been poured out into us, and we can start investing it. And every day, every day we pour a little more out. Every day we invest what God has given us in some, some fashion, sometimes a little Sometimes a lot. But the coins slip away. Don't they? Just like every day, 
slips away. Every day is gone forever. No more chances after that day. And then one day, the coins are gone. And your life is over. Every chance is done. Every choice is made. And I want that day to be as joyful. And I want that to be a good day when I see Jesus face to face. It's all there waiting for us. I want to sing you a song. The the standard disclaimers apply when you hear me sing. You will never hear this song on the radio. You will never hear me on the radio. And I will never sing for my supper. Unless it's part of a weight loss program. Because that would be quite effective. (laughs) But it's meant to teach something. There's something here that I... I'm just trying every way I can think of. Oh, yeah, you cut me off. Good, good. Good man back there. <laughs> trying every way to, to get this down into our hearts and minds. Life hangs by the thinnest thread A circumstance that so many dread Where will you stand on that day When the silver cord gives way Every chance is over Every choice is made On the day that he calls you to the life you have made. Life is short and quickly gone. A precious coin you can't hang on. What will you buy? What will you have on the day the coin? are gone. Every chance is over, every choice is made on the day that he calls you to the life you have made. While you draw the breath of life, the Father calls you to His side But there will come a day When your body drops away And you take the final flight If you're catching on, you can sing the chorus with me Every chance is over Every choice is made On the day that he calls you to the life you have made Every chance is over, every choice is made 
On the day that he calls you to the life you have The day is coming. The day is coming. We are moving to that day when we receive the life that we have named. I have a little test to see how well you were listening. When you complete this phrase, perfect love, who said that? Awesome. Awesome. That's right. Perfect love once more. Absolutely right. That is in God's heart. It's always been in God's heart. Jesus said to put your money. Who said that? There you go. Oh, you guys are brave. I hope what you heard is that grace is inexhaustible. You will never exhaust this in your life. Our failures are not final. They give us the power to move on to the future that we are creating for ourselves and to a day when Oh, hallelujah. May we may you find that day to be a day of joyful rejoicing. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our series called Failure is Not Final. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and BelgiumChurch.com.